0: When I was a kid, I decided that I wanted to build a tree house. Now, mind you, at that point in my life, my most extensive building experience was building a really rudimentary Rube Goldberg machine in my elementary school classroom. And so my building expertise wasn't exactly OSHA approved, but we had this tree in our backyard that was absolutely perfect for a tree house. It was nice and it was big, And it overlooked this field and it had these three parts of the tree that branched off from the main trunk. And it just seemed like it was made for a little tree house to sit on it. Now calling it a tree house is actually probably pretty generous because what I actually ended up building was something more like a tree platform, a mostly flat, mostly safe platform where I could sit and read or draw or just relax and watch the field. But what I'll always remember all these years later are the steps. You see, for the steps, I had taken a few spare pieces of lumber and had decided that for the very first rung of the ladder, I was going to attach it right to the tree with just a nail holding it in the center. As I'm sure you can probably guess, just hearing that it was a little bit of a wild experience to climb up the treehouse. You had to make sure that both your feet were just right on that first step and you had to balance just perfectly or else you were gonna be leaning from one side to the other and it would quickly become a pretty scary experience. And I'll never forget the feeling of hitting that first step just wrong and teetering back and forth a little bit while you're just trying to balance it just right and just hold on to that tree. Well, last week we introduced our new series, Counterculture where we're looking at Peter's words in 1 Peter. His words to this community that he calls the Peripodemos, the exiles, these people who belong to another community, another kingdom, but at the same time, they're called and living in and working in and playing in a totally different kingdom. In fact, a kingdom whose culture pushed against some of the very things that God had called them to. And if we're honest, sometimes living as exiles, It can feel like we're hitting that first step on the treehouse, like we're teetering back and forth a little bit between living for one kingdom and the next one. It can feel dangerous, can feel shaky, and it can even feel a little unbalanced. And some of you, after the kickoff of this series, you reached out and you said, I feel this. I feel this tension at home. I feel this tension at work. I feel this tension with my friends or with my family. I feel this tension in my relationships. And this idea that we're exiles, that we're called to live a radically different life from the people around us who haven't chosen to be a part of the kingdom of God, it helps to make a lot of sense of some of the ways that you feel as you work and as you play and as you move and as you love in this kingdom, in this world right now. It made sense of the times when you felt left out, made sense of the pull that you feel when it comes to certain jokes or entertainment. It made sense of why it just doesn't always feel easy to follow Jesus right where you are. It made sense of this culture and its shifts that you see today. There's a truth that I think we have to acknowledge in this series, and it's this, being in exile can be lonely. But as we talked about last week, Peter's point in writing this letter It isn't just to say to these people, congratulations, you're in exile. Now deal with it. No, Peter has this pastor's heart. And what Peter wants to do is offer practical guidance, offer an invitation in the midst of living as exiles and call these exiles and call us as the church today to a new reality and a new way of living. So what is God's invitation to those of us for whom our status as exiles feels anything but comfortable? For those of us who feel like as we live as exiles in this world and as we try to represent Christ the best we can, who feel like it's shaky ground, like it teeters, or like it doesn't always mean that you fit in really nicely. What's his invitation in the midst of those moments when being an exile makes us feel like we're lonely? or acting strange, or left out, or feeling rejected. Well, if you'd open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter two, together we're going to read the word of God to this community and discern what it means for us, for our community. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we would invite you to participate with us using the YouVersion Bible app. So let's read God's word together in 1 Peter chapter two, And we're going to read verses 4 through verses 10. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ You see, this whole section in Peter's letter to these five exile communities spread all throughout Asia Minor is this. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to approach the holy living God in worship and in doing so to have ourselves and our lives utterly transformed. What an invitation. We also find in this passage that we are invited to tell the whole story about ourselves. The story here is not that we don't belong. The story is that we do belong, but we just belong to another kingdom. You see, it's really easy for us to get caught up in our status as exiles and to feel lonely and rejected. But the fact of the matter is that we are not lonely or rejected from the kingdom that we belong to all along, just from this culture. So Peter says that the story is not that we've been rejected by men. The story is that we're chosen and we're precious to God. The story is we do have a place where we belong. We do have a place where we've been invited to call home. We have a home. And we're chosen and we're precious for a purpose. Peter says here in verse 5, You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter borrows this temple language from the Old Testament to tell us that we are a place where God dwells. When we gather together with other believers, whether it's here in worship this morning or throughout the week, that gathering, it is no small thing. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, this language is used to say that when we gather together in community, we become a place where the Holy Spirit literally dwells. It's this place where we experience and we offer and we are offered the opportunity to commune with the living God, a place where we're transformed more and more into the people that God has always intended for us to be. And just as the Old Testament contained these stories about the temple and the temple life, in that time, this physical place where God's presence was said to dwell, we become as God's people, as we're built into this temple as living stones We become epicenters of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And in our own lives and the interactions with the people around us, we carry with us the presence of this God who does live and who does move and who does still breathe among us. And so while we sojourn on this earth, we don't just sit in sadness and wait for the coming of the King but rather we are invited to experience daily the presence of the King and our rightful kingdom in our own lives and in all the lives that we have an opportunity and an invitation to touch. And so we belong as temples of the Holy Spirit together and we carry that presence with us into our everyday interactions. It's an invitation to spread the presence of God. First Peter 2.5 also calls us a holy priesthood, which tells us that we are a conduit of God's mercy and of God's forgiveness. You see, in the Old Testament, the priests were the people who would bring the cares and the concerns of the people before God. And the only ones allowed to go behind the curtain of the most holy, They priests themselves would bring the people's confessions their requests, their laments before the living God, and they would mediate the relationship between God and his people. And when they would return from having been in the temple, they would communicate God's forgiveness. They would help to discern God's sacred writings to God's people, and they would bless God's people as they went. What I think is so beautiful about this passage is that Peter is communicating that that job, it's no longer available just to a select few. And in fact, in other places in the New Testament, this language is given that there's now a priesthood of all believers, that all believers are now called to bring one another's cares, to bring one another's concerns, and to bring one another's prayers before God. And we have the opportunity together, and it's one of the things I love about the covenant, is we have an opportunity together to discern scripture, together as a group, to remind one another of God's forgiveness and of God's grace, and to bless one another as we go about our daily lives. I think it's so incredibly beautiful that in this series where we're talking about how difficult it can feel to be exiles, that we're reminded that we don't bear this burden alone. In fact, as you watch this online, there are others watching with you who are called together in this passage and in our church to be community with you and are called to walk with you through hard moments, to celebrate with you in exciting moments, to remind you of God's truth, to bring your cares and your worries and your concerns to God in prayer on behalf of you. And to bless you as you seek to follow Jesus. And you are called to do the same. Finally, 1 Peter 2.5 tells us that we are a people of sacrifice. As we continue with this series over the coming weeks, we're going to begin to see that these sacrifices that we're called to They aren't the sacrifices of the Old Testament of ancient Israel, sacrifices of animals, but instead they're sacrifices of our entire lives. The sacrifices that are acceptable to God are the things we offer in our daily living. Things like in verse two, one, putting away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander from our speech to be people where our speech is a sacrifice because we honor each other in a culture that doesn't. Or as we'll see next week, we're invited to offer a sacrifice of our lives in the way that we live our lives in relationship with the state and with the people who lead our nation. Or as we'll see in the next two weeks, also it's a sacrifice in the way that we are called as a church to live in relationship with one another in our households, and in our families. You see, we are invited to gratefully offer our lives as living sacrifices, to seek to live in ways that please God and that follow his best intentions for our lives and for the lives of our neighbors. We're invited to offer up ourselves as sacrifices to a world that needs to see Jesus and needs to see the difference that following Jesus makes. But we're imperfect. I'm sure that surprises nobody, that we are imperfect. And imperfect houses, they can't stand for very long. And we all know that what Peter just laid out for us, these duties that have been given to us and assigned to us as living stones, they are roles that we can't do perfectly. So thanks be to God that the foundation we stand on is not our own. Peter continues to say that the sacrifices we offer and these lives we lead, we do so through Jesus, who fulfills the Old Testament when it says in verses six through eight, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, Even then, the stone that the builders rejected, it's become the cornerstone. And it's a stone of stumbling, it's a rock of offense. It says they stumble because they disobey the word. You see, Jesus is chosen, and Jesus is precious, and Jesus is placed at the place of utmost importance in this new temple. Jesus is the cornerstone, the most important stone, on which all else is being constructed. He's the chosen one on whom our entire foundation depends. He is the one who holds all things together. And this community that Peter was writing to, it was a community that was marked by honor and shame. And so he says that as we build on him, though we may face shame now, we will not be put to shame in the coming age that we will experience honor because our trust is secured and our hope is true, and even though some don't believe, the cornerstone will always stand sure. You see, when we experience moments of shame now for, for standing up for truth or for standing up for scripture or for defending what we believe to be true in Jesus, we can rest assured knowing that what God offers us is honor. In the midst of all of that, And you see, it's because Jesus is that we can be. It's because Jesus is chosen and was chosen by God and was God's perfect sacrifice that we can be chosen by God and that we can live lives of sacrifice. It's because Jesus is precious to God that we can be precious to God. It's because of Jesus's death and resurrection that God can look at us and see us as sons and daughters that he can call us too precious. And it's because Jesus is a suffering servant that we can be suffering servants in our own lives. It's because Jesus showed us the way to go. It's because Jesus gave us an example to follow. It's because Jesus invited us to be his disciples and to learn from him. And he said his yoke is easy and that we can follow after Jesus and experience the life that we long for the most. It's because Jesus is that we can be. It's because of that that we can give our lives for the sake of the word, even in a culture that pushes against it, so that we can then go on to impact the world ourselves. Peter tells us in verses nine and 10, mercy. You see, in this, Peter is hearkening back to perhaps one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. It comes to us from the book of Hosea, where God uses the example of unfaithfulness to demonstrate his great, long-lasting love, long-suffering mercy for his people. In Hosea 2, verse 23, it says this, and it's just so radically beautiful. God says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I have called, not my love. I will say to those who are called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Like Israel in the days of old, we are now God's chosen people. We're the ones who have been called out of the darkness of our past lives and out of the darkness of this world in order that we might shine like a light to the culture around us. You see, our purpose is not to live strangely for the sake of living strangely, but it's to live strangely in a world that's already strange because we belong to the house and the nation and the family of God. And we live our lives in response to Him alone. We are accountable only to our King, and we demonstrate our allegiance to the one who is truly worthy of all of our worship and all of our sacrifice. In this passage, there is really, really, really good news. And it's that we are not exiled alone. When you look at this screen and you see the people who are watching with you, These are people who are sojourning with you. They're people who, just like you, were called out of this culture to live and to press into and establish God's kingdom and have been called into displaying that kingdom today right where they stand, in their families, in their workplaces, in their community, in this state, and in this world. Well, to climb that old treehouse that I told you about at the start, You had to balance just right on that first step. You had to balance just right enough to be able to make it to the next rung. And it was really shaky. It was really hard and it was really scary. But what if our first step as exiles didn't have to feel so hard? What if it didn't have to feel so lonely to balance between two kingdoms? What if our first step felt so firm and so secure that taking our next steps forward as exiles was a little easier? Well, we're not the first and we're not going to be the last people to face a culture that presses against what we've been called to. We aren't the first and we won't be the last ones to wrestle with big questions or next steps or deep needs or longings for community. And so today, we want to invite you to take that first step in this series. And if you're not already a part of a small church, I want to invite you today to be a part of one. It's this place where other living stones, just like you and I, gather together to eat together and pray together and study together. Where people just like you and I are learning together what it means to be a place where God dwells of people who are mediating these experiences with God and a conduit of God's mercy and God's forgiveness and to be living sacrifices. People who are offering up their whole lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. And as we're practicing it together, we're also learning how to share that promise and share that hope with the rest of the world. You see, joining a small church, it is easy it's as easy as going to Next, And there you can fill out our virtual connect card. And when you click join a small group, we'll help you find a place to belong. A place where as an exile here in this world, you don't have to feel so alone. A place where you can experience what it's like for us together, built on the cornerstone of Jesus and Jesus's life can become temples where the Holy Spirit dwells and moves in the world. I'd invite you to take your next step today.